Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 60, we discuss history being made with the race for the USSF presidency. VAR strikes again in Europe. ESPN announced a few more details about ESPN+. Univision and Fox Sports announced new shows. Uh, the latest developments about the UK Premier League TV deal and much more, much more. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by my colleague, uh, Kartik Krishnaya. Uh, Kartik, how are you this week? I'm doing okay. How about you? I'm doing good. It's been a pretty exhausting weekend. We'll get more into this a little bit later in our future topic of the sh- of the show. But uh, so much of the drama this week has been in regards to the uh, the race to become the next USSF uh, president. Uh, you more than me. I mean, you know, th- th- this is more your beat than it is mine. Uh, although I'm w- watching it and uh, uh, very closely. But for you, it's it must have been a whirlwind of a week. Uh, yeah, in fact, I mean, when we get to what we've been watching, I'll, I'll admit, other than the Arsenal-Everton game where I got a brief respite, uh, I have had football, soccer on all weekend and virtually comprehended none of it because the phone kept ringing, kept getting text messages, Twitter, whatever, about um, this U.S. presidential race. Right, yeah, and a lot of lawsuits being uh, filed yeah. and all sorts of other things this week too. So l- let me kick off then this week, uh, Kartik, in, in regards to what we've been watching. Uh, I'm not sure if you caught this game, but this was definitely, without any shadow of a doubt, uh, my favorite game of the weekend. And that was Cologne against Dortmund uh, on Friday. It was the Friday 2.30 Eastern time kickoff. Uh, this one, I didn't expect it to be this good. But what a fantastic match, just end-to-end action. Um, Dortmund eventually won 3-2 in this match. And it's, it's, I feel sorry for Cologne because every time I watch Cologne, it reminds me a little bit of Swansea uh, in regards to a team near the bottom who's fighting to stay up, uh, trying their best and, and actually playing some good brand of football. But uh, whether it's the Europa League or whether it's uh, the Bundesliga, just, it just seems that things uh, aren't going their way. Yeah, but- yeah, it was, again, disheartening from a Dortmund perspective to see how poor they were defensively in, in that match. Uh, Dortmund, uh, uh, obviously, Batshuayi coming in, uh, having an, an instant impact, uh, scoring two goals, actually having a third chopped off, uh, providing the assist for the for the other goal. Uh, but defensively, a mess. Uh, Cologne, who have uh, now, believe it or not, ma- given, them an oppor- given themselves an opportunity to escape the drop. As crazy as that sounds, uh, they're now on 12 points. They're still uh, cut adrift somewhat. Uh, I, I think seven or eight points from safety, but they have an opportunity and they showed a fighting spirit in this match. But boy, uh, again, from a Dortmund perspective, uh, a, a, a terrible defensive performance. Petter Stroger, uh, Cologne's former manager, obviously leading uh, Dortmund now. 
have to mention this, uh, Chris, to our listeners out there. Anytime Dortmund plays, if you like goals, if you like excitement, if you like bad giveaways, uh, if you like good finishes, because that seems like people are more into entertainment than into uh, quality football when if, if you have to pick one or the other. Uh, anytime Dortmund's on your D, on your uh, program, like you should watch the match or DVR it because it's always exciting. Well, well, plus oftentimes, especially this season, goalkeeping mistakes. I mean, how many goalkeeping mistakes has Dortmund made this this, this season? Whether it's in you know in Europe, uh, European competition or, or Bundesliga, it's just uh, it's, it's incredible. But yeah, I don't know how Berkey stays in that uh, um, in, in that job. They they have not gone out and gotten since Weidenfeller began to fade a really top class keeper, particularly Chris when there's so many good German keepers out there. That that's the real mystery to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But this match actually it was Keith Costigan and Stu Holden uh, commentating, and I, I think really those two together are the best combo. Uh, we've had Stuart Holden with uh, John Strong for all sorts of other games, uh, Champions League and U.S. Men's National Team games, MLS games, etc. But to me, Stuart Holden is his best when he's paired with uh, Keith Costigan, and and I think that would be a natural fit for the World Cup. Uh, but if so, then like who? then fills in alongside John Strong um, if Landon Donovan isn't available, if Landon Donovan's going to be playing in uh, Liga Mekis for Club Lyon. Um, maybe they're thinking it's going to be John Strong and Stuart Holden, but that partnership I don't think is that strong to me uh, when I listen to them together. That the chemistry isn't there as much as it is with uh, Costigan and Holden. I will, I will add that Kartik in, in this match that there was a far incident in this one. And it's a good example of uh, how difficult it can be because there was a VAR incident in this Cologne Dortmund game and it was used to rule out a goal by Dortmund. But the decision was reached within seconds, which is great. So the Bundesliga seems to be very fast now these days in making quick decisions. But because of the commentators, because of Keith Costigan and Stuart Holden, uh, calling in this game off a monitor so they're not at the stadium. Obviously, they're in a studio in Los Angeles in a small office, kind of just, just call, looking at the TV, the same TVs, that uh, picture that we're seeing, the same video. And because the producer in Germany uh, didn't kind of zoom in and, and show that, um, I mean, the referee had said, okay, let's, let's go ahead and uh, award this a goal. They didn't know if it was ruled out or not. So they had to kind of wait to see if the score... Uh, this, on the score ticker, whether that, that would change from, I think it was, at that point it was 2-0, uh, but whether it would go back to 1-0 or not. So they were completely blind to it, as were we, the viewers, uh, the TV viewers. We were wondering, okay, that looks like it was uh, disallowed, but we're not 100% sure. And, and, and to me, this comes back a lot to the things we've been talking about, VAR. And I think it's one of those things is that uh, you have to have the referees mic'd up. Uh, so, so we can hear what the referees are saying and, and uh, the decision-making process and exactly what they decide. And at the same time, you mean the people in the stadium can hear that and then the people uh, watching at home can hear that too. So we're all on the same page and we know what's happening. And you, you see this in rugby and, and in other sports where the, the refs are mic'd up. Uh, that takes it to a whole new level. I don't think soccer's ready for that quite yet, but I think that's the way that we're heading. Um, but, but anyway, it was just an interesting thing I, I, I saw and I just thought that was kind of one of the downfalls with VAR. It's just, again, the communication is if, if a VAR rules a goal onside, um, allow it or uh, disallow it, how is that information communicated to um, 
the, the TV viewers and the people in the stadium. People in the stadium have an advantage. TV viewers have less of an advantage because we're rel relying on that uh, TV producer to show us the, the video images of, of, of what happened. Yeah, I think that it's, uh, it's a work in progress. And it's still something that seems very awkward every time. Uh, just to your earlier point, I think F uh, Fox might want to uh, place John Strong in the booth, or it's not the booth, right? Because they're calling it off of monitors uh, for some of these Bundesliga games paired with Stu Holden going, coming down the stretch of the Bundesliga season just to get that chemistry going, uh, to your earlier point. Yeah, that's the thing. And usually the Bundesliga by this point uh, in the last two years uh, with Fox have announced uh, some big games, some big games on the over the air Fox network or I think FXX was one, one, one year. Uh, so far, there's been none of that. I think there were some games earlier in the season that uh, were on the big Fox, but so far we haven't heard anything. So maybe they're waiting for that uh, before they do some of the, the Bundesliga games because they seem to be mostly John Strong's usually pulled in for more, more of the high profile matches. Some of the other matches, the other matches I watched this weekend, uh, Burnley against Man City, uh, of course with NBC SN, we have Arlo White in the studio as the uh, temporary presenter uh, through till I think early March uh, while Rebecca's in, uh, in South Korea for the Winter Olympics and uh, I think Arlo did pretty well. It's, uh, he does get a little bit, uh, he does over-exaggerate over a little bit too, Kartik, I'm not sure if, you, if you've noticed this and uh, and oftentimes when you don't need to be because like so the Burnley Man City game it was a good game it wasn't the, the most exciting game ever but it was a good game and Arlo White uh, right after the game ended said uh, uh, we're still trying to catch our breath after that one and I thought that was just a little bit exaggerated um, in terms of that you, you don't have to, uh, to sell it we saw the same game that you saw uh, just call it as it is and yeah it was exciting but you mean I don't think uh, anyone was uh, holding their breath on that one uh, Leicester against Swansea, I watched that one. Uh, the, the relegation survival campaign continues and is going according to plan for Swansea. So uh, a well-deserved uh, point there. Watched it on NBC Sports Gold. Uh, that day I was, um, I think one of my kids had, had a, a soccer game, so I was gone most of the day. Came back uh, and then played it and watched the whole game. No problems. Enjoyed that. I did catch a, a, a couple of um, the rugby games, the Six Nations on NBC SN this weekend. I saw Wales against Scotland and Italy against England. And I think it's interesting because um, the level of coverage that they're giving to rugby, the standard of production, uh, the studio is just as good as the Premier League. And uh, it just goes to show it in terms of kind of just the high level of expectations uh, at NBC, it seems to be across across the network. It's not just one sport, but I was really impressed with the, uh, the rugby coverage there. Now, Liverpool against Spurs, uh, Kartik, on Sunday. First of all, I've got to say, what a, 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 a sensational match. This is a game that, uh, again, I had a, a, I think one of my kids had a game on Sunday, so I came back and watched it on replay um, on the DVR from using Fubo. And after the game was over, I sat down with my wife and replayed the last 10 minutes of the game and then sat down separately with my kids and said, okay, right, just watch this, just watch what happens. And everyone was astonished. I mean, everyone was just absolutely uh, aghast at the level of quality, the goals, the, the incidents, the, the drama, the excitement. And, and to me, I don't think it gets any better than this, Kartik. This, this was pure... Uh, unadulterated enjoyment. I mean, this is the best of the best, I think, of the Premier League. This is a, f a fantastic match to watch. Yeah, what are we talking about after the match? 
Well, yeah, I, I was talking about the goals. I was talking about Mo Salah. I was talking about uh, Wanyama. I was talking about the those things. I, I yes, the, we will talk about about the referee and officiating. But but to me, um, I mean, that's been the talking point all week, right? But to me, the game itself. And uh, the match and the level of play, the the pressing throughout this entire game was exceptional and just a, a joy to watch. Yeah, the second half, certainly. I mean, I thought the Wanyama goal and Salah goals were two of the goals of the season. But uh, the first half, I have to say, Spurs were what we've now come to unfortunately expect from them uh, away to a big, big six side, which uh, was very kind of tentative. Uh, their pressing game didn't work. I, I felt like uh, Liverpool was really uh, dominating the, uh, the, the, the midfield in the first half. Um, I think a couple things uh, changed that one, one Yama being inserted to me last season, he was such a key to Spurs and his injury uh, problems this season have uh, are one of the real explanations for why they've gone from second to fifth and why Deli Ali who plays in front of them uh, in midfield, why his play has dropped off. Uh, and then the second thing would be uh, the very unclop like decision to bring Joel Matip in for a midfielder. I'm trying to remember who, who got sacked. Maybe it was Milner, but a very, very strange decision to, uh, to, to go defensive with a one nil lead, which was uh, uncharacteristic of Klopp. And uh, those two decisions in the second half, the two substitutions, one by Pochettino positive, uh, one by, um, by Klopp very negative, I think made the game for the last 30 minutes exactly a spectacle, as you said. But uh, unfortunately, we're not really talking about that. I might be the first person to talk about these tactical changes that took place. (laughs) Well, maybe not the first person, but, you know, the first person, one of the few people, because uh, all the talk was about John Moss after the match. Yeah, so let's go there. So with the officiating, I must say that uh, if, if NBC... Uh, ever wanted to pull in one of the contributors that they have, uh, Mark Clattenburg, this was the time to do it. And, and then that's the difficult thing that they have with Mark is that he comes in from time to time and probably will come in again at some point in the season. Um, but it's one of those things that it's, you, you never know what's going to happen. It could be a, a quiet day officiating wise, but uh, that's in a moment where you'd, you'd love to have a, uh, a live TV uh, hookup with him to, to have him come on uh, post-match, you mean from a studio wherever he's at to, to share his opinions. I, I thought Kartik in terms of um, the officiating, uh, especially these controversial decisions in this match, that uh, all of them were correct. And I think the Liverpool fans are probably uh, getting ready to send me hate mail, but I think in, in each of the separate occasions, uh, the correct decision was made. I think it was a little bit fortunate, a little bit lucky on uh, on one of them that um, the way the offside decision um, in terms of the ruling on that one. But I did think, though, too, Kartik, it was really interesting. You had the NBC Sports um, studio team, so I think Robbie Musto, Robbie Earle, all saying that um, that definitely should have been offside, the hurricane decision. Um, but they're not referees. They're not match officials. That, um, so Sky Sports post-match had Dermot uh, Gallagher on, and uh, Dermot uh, said that, uh, that the calls were correct. Um, uh, of course, there's a lot of interpretation on that Harry Kane incident, whether or not uh, Lovren deliberate, deliberately tried to uh, play the ball. And uh, you, we can go into a lot of detail about this, a lot deeper. But I just thought it was interesting from from the TV coverage perspective of it, um, 
the difference of opinions. I saw some of uh, Bean Sports coverage from the Middle East with uh, Andy Gray and the studio teams there, and they were saying that, yeah, that should have been definitely offside. What do you think? Uh, no, I think it was uh, uh, an attempt to play the ball by Lovren. And this, I, I've been very, um, through the years, very kind of outspoken on this point, including going back uh, now more than 10 years, more than a decade to the U.S.-Canada game in the Gold Cup in Chicago, uh, where uh, Oguchi Onyewu, I thought, pretty clearly uh, played a, uh, try, tried to play a ball that resulted in a Canadian goal that was chalked off, I think, by Julian de Guzman, uh, a, uh, a goal that was, uh, to me, perfectly legal because if the defender tries to play the ball, then you have this, this issue. We had uh, the opposite call made the same call as the Kane call in the playoff game. You might remember this uh, when the four Lauderdale strikers, who of course I worked for uh, played in Minnesota in 2014 in the NASL championship, when uh, there was an attempt to play the ball by the Minnesota defender ball falls to Martin Nunez for Fort Lauderdale. He scores the goal. Uh, the game goes to extra time for a lot of the wins, but it was uh, it was extremely controversial, at least in the American soccer community at the time. And I think misinterpretation of the rule that the Nunez goal was a legal goal, probably. And I think certainly the Kane uh, penalty was I, I have to say, I think the calls were all correct. Uh, Liverpool fans are going to like that. But um, the defense for Van Dyke is, is very weak. OK, so uh, he he. He, he is not entitled to that space uh, behind him, right? This assumption that he didn't know Lamella was going to, 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 to occupy that space is uh, just really kind of a, a strange defense to me. And so I thought that was a pretty clear penalty. Again, I think uh, Moss and uh, Mark Clattenburg, who, were the fourth, who was the fourth official in the ARs, they were trying to um, get a sense of whether there may have been an offside involved, right? But the actual call itself, I don't think was controversial, at least in my book. Now, the question you could have is, do you call something like that in extra time, in stoppage time, in a game of this magnitude, sometimes referees swallow their whistle because of the circumstance. But was that a foul? Yeah, I think uh, nine people out of 10 would admit if they're being truly objective that that was a foul. Yeah, I think part of the issue, though, too, Kartik, is that you have soccer fans and you have broadcasters uh, that are not match officials and don't understand all of the rules of the game. And oftentimes, so if you go on social media <laughs> after this game, and it's still to this day, I mean, I went on Facebook, I think yesterday, and there's still Liverpool uh, fans and groups just going, this is ridiculous. This is kind of, you mean, all the, you mean, the the Eddie Smart, the, the uh, assistant uh, referee, the way he pumps his fist uh, as if he's like a, a Spurs supporter. When, when I, I think really what he was doing was just like, hey, I got the call right. That's a huge call to make at that uh, moment in the game. Game, in such a big game with the world watching, you mean pat on the back for him for getting the decision correct. I think that that's what he was kind of saying to himself. Not that he was like, yes, you mean a penalty against uh, against Liverpool, like Spurs got a chance here to to tie it up. From a TV perspective, Kartik, this is fascinating though too. Seeing John Moss and having the cameras so close to John Moss and Eddie Smart and being able to actually overhear what they were saying. That was illuminating for me. Uh, that's something we extremely rarely get to, to see. And like, like I talked about beforehand, I'd love to see more of that. I'd love to see, to go through, to hear the rationale that the referees are going through when they're discussing a call so that we can better understand if the correct decision is being made or not. And in this case, 
it was a, a slip of the tongue from John Moss, but a very, very revealing one where they're discussing the situation and John Moss on his uh, radio calls over to Martin Atkinson, the fourth official, and said, uh, Martin, uh, did you see that on TV? Did you catch that on TV? Was that the right call? And Martin didn't reply, which is, thank God he didn't reply, because that opens things up completely, Kartik. It makes you wonder. I mean, the PGMOL uh, said that that was a mistake, that uh, a slip of the tongue, that he didn't mean to do that. But it makes you wonder, Kartik, how often has this been done in, in other games where they've gone to the fourth official and say, hey, did you sneak a peek and did you see anything on TV? Because, you mean, they're, 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 they're helpless. I mean, they have no TV replay to look at. We, the TV viewers, have far more slow-mos, you mean, different angles. We've got all the evidence and they've got just the real-time evidence. What a tough job it is for them, but that is extremely revealing. What do you think, Kartik? Is this something that... Um, that's given us an idea of, of exactly what's happening in, in some of these big matches. Uh, yeah, I, I suspect it happens more often than than we think. But it, it's uh, it's a slippery slope, isn't it? I mean, you, know, you go back to the 2006 World Cup final, right, between Italy and France. We know television replay was was used uh, to send off Zidane, or was used as a tool to send off Zidane. And I think since then, there's probably been incidents like this, not ones that, that, that ended up in two minute stoppages, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I suspect this is happening more often than we think. Yeah. And FIFA to, to this day still says that, um, that the TVs uh, weren't used in that World Cup final. Uh, and, and we all know it was, they, they had it on the, the big giant screens in the stadium uh, and showed the incident. So there, it's impossible that the referees didn't see that. And that of course influenced their decision to, to send off uh, uh, Zidane. But yeah. It's worth noting. It's worth noting in Major League Baseball in the United States. I don't know if this is the case anymore because I don't follow baseball. But at one time, baseball had a very strong uh, umpires union, and these sorts of controversial replays were not allowed to be shown in in, in the stadiums, so that umpires weren't harassed or influenced. And uh, I, I'm not sure if that's something that uh, the authorities in football want to think about, quite honestly. And, I, and again, I don't know how strong the referees union is, but uh, right. at one time, the umpires union in Major League Baseball, all the unions in Major League Baseball were stronger than the other unions in American sports. So uh, I remember that distinctly, that controversial place you couldn't watch. And I, I, I used to not like it at the time as a fan. Now, looking back, I think that was probably a good thing. And, and, and that's the same way in soccer, though, too, Kartik, because like in, in these games where you have the TV replays on the giant screen TVs, is that they're not allowed to show controversial incidents uh, in the stadiums. And I think that uh, 2006 World Cup final, I think that was a mistake that they, they didn't mean to show that incident up on the big screen. But um, yeah, because it, 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 it could start a riot depending on how things go. But uh, I don't know. It was just a fascinating watch uh, of a game and the officiating made it even more interesting. Um, just a little bit disappointed with NBC's coverage of this one. But, but again, it's analysis. They're, they're asking for quick decisions, quick feedback from, from their analysts, and they're given them. But uh, I think in some ways, actually, Kartik, in this instance, a rare, such a rare instance, this is when you need a Dr. Joe um, for, that yeah. Fox uses. Uh, my thing with Dr. Joe is he's overused. Like he's just been pulled in to give a decision or give it some feedback on a goal that is, you know, it's a common sense decision. We don't need him to explain that. Something like this, this is something we need him to explain. And, and this might happen once every two or three months 
but uh, I think NBC needs to kind of think about having some access to that. Uh, and oftentimes they've, they've gone to PGMOL in the past um, post-match and to ask for their input or feedback on certain decisions. Um, I missed the post-match, so I don't know if they did that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating time in the, uh, the coverage of soccer, really. Yeah, and congratulations to Dr. Joe. He's finally getting inducted into the National Soccer Hall of Fame uh, this Friday night in Orlando. All right, Kartik. So uh, a couple of other matches I watched this weekend. I watched uh, Atleti against Valencia. This was in the uh, La Liga on being sports. And uh, a match that I thought was going to be fantastic to watch. It was kind of a... A damp squid, really. It was a beautiful goal by Angel Correa uh, to win the match 1-0 for Atleti. But uh, Atleti, the way that they play, even at home, it's very much, okay, just play very uh, conservatively, uh, get the one goal, hold on for the win, and and that's it. Um, but but still, they got the three points. That, that, that's all they want. I did watch the extra again on Being Sports on Sunday. Uh, and yet again, I, I just really enjoyed the coverage on this one. They had the analysis... Um, from that day's matches, uh, as well as highlights with uh, Kay Murray, Gary Bailey, and Thomas Rongen. And again, they had the coach's corner um, going into more detail about some of the plays that happened in that match. Um, yeah, really enjoyable. I, I've been watching more and more of that. And then um, early week, we had Watford-Chelsea, uh, Swansea-Notts County, and then Spurs against Newport, and uh, watched all those games. And uh, eh. Yeah, I enjoyed the Swansea one probably more than others. But actually, the Watford-Chelsea game was really entertaining too. And just uh, to see Chelsea's demise uh, right now under Conte is... is um, I mean, I, I hate to see teams kind of um, go that way. But uh, it, it's, again, uh, difficult times at Chelsea. And it's 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 good television. I, I suppose so, Chris. But it, it's, uh, it's very good television. But I, I think Chelsea are a team that indicate to me... Uh, Look, this thing, this thing has gone through, has uh, infected their cup competition performances too. Obviously, the the uh, uh, they made hard work of uh, two legs against Norwich, a, a return, well, a, uh, a replay, and then uh, extra time and penalty kicks, and then uh, they were eliminated by Arsenal. Uh, in spite of, in my in my opinion, getting the rub of the green from the officials in both legs of that tie, they were eliminated, and uh, and and then uh, their league performances. Let's just consider this for a minute, okay? I, I complain that the Premier League has become too predictable this season. But now Chelsea is pulling back that predictability. They lose 3-0 at home to Bournemouth, which uh, and I think in Eddie Howe's uh, uh, seven years, uh, uh, or actually plus, so if you take his first maybe almost a decade of managing Bournemouth now, uh, beyond matches that immediately got them promoted was the best result they've had and probably the best performance they've had. Now they go to Vicarage uh, Road, which is uh, just just down the road. You know, for the, the Watford is is, uh, is inside uh, the M25, so it's a short short bus uh, ride from West London, uh, and uh, they get uh, they get absolutely hammered. Um, Look, Bakayoko got sent off with that second yellow card, Chris. I, I, my opinion was that he, wa- he didn't want to stay on the pitch. He was so abject in the first 30 minutes. It wasn't just – we Bakayoko's performance wasn't just rated on his two yellow cards and his sending off. Mm-hmm. There is no – it's ineffectual in Chelsea's midfield right now. And then you don't inspire much confidence – as much as I like Danny Drinkwater, I don't like Ross Barkley as a player. I've been selling on him for a while. But as much as I like Danny Drinkwater, you don't inspire much confidence if you're an aspiring 
side, you're the defending Premier League champions to have signed those two guys. I think Giroud is a much better signing, a, a higher level player. Uh, but uh, again, I, I don't know uh, that it's, it's that useful to have Giroud now. They're not, they're not really competing for anything, although I guess they're still competing to finish in the top four. So they're going to need Giroud's goals at some point. But uh, boy, uh, what, 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 what a mess. Absolutely. All right, Kartik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. Yeah, uh, big, big week uh, of TV streaming news for us. Uh, according to the uh, Financial Times, the Premier League researched the possibility of selling online rights uh, via subscription mo uh, model separate from their actual TV deals. But they came to the conclusion that the TV model for selling rights is still the most lucrative, which it has been for their entire existence by the Premier League even began. Also, the article points out that Amazon uh, reports that Amazon and Facebook met with the Premier League for discussions in addition to Sky Sports and BT Sports in the UK. That goes along with our own reporting about the FA Cup, that the FA is exploring the use potentially of Amazon and Facebook. Uh, the bidding process for Premier League TV and streaming rights in the UK starts this week. And by the time you hear this podcast, it's quite possible winning pids might, might have been announced. It's possible. I'm not sure if it will be. Although I am hearing next week, uh, likely, Chris. Uh, one other point on this, just remind our American listeners, because NBC got an unprecedented deal, which we talked about with Lee Dixon two weeks ago. Six years. Premier League never negotiates deals like that. It's the only deal in their history they've negotiated over a, a term longer than three years in a major market. There was no U.S. Uh, tender or rights bid this time. NBC keeps it for the next period as well. Yeah, and for the NBC, I think that's a smart move, Kantik, because uh, if the the contracts were up for renewal right now, uh, you'd you'd have Amazon and Facebook and others competing against uh, NBC, and um, I mean probably up up in the the actual cost of that. I mean we'll see that in the UK too, as far as uh, it's usually BT and Sky Sports for the most part that are the, the main bidders. But if with Amazon and Facebook, um, with all the money money that they may have or that they they do have, I mean that could really uh, really increase the, the, the amount of uh, the TV rights there too. So time, timing is, uh, is everything. We'll have to wait and see what happens here. I mean, Sky Sports, you would ex expect to get the majority of those games and then maybe shared among the others, but um, you never know. Now, uh, another part of this uh, TV deal, Kartik, that was mentioned is that uh, a winter break was under this discussion um, under this new TV deal. Now, whether or not this is going to happen, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, I think it's a mistake, Kartik, because what's going to happen if it, if it do decide to do a winter break uh, for the next TV deal, uh, which is like, what, uh, 2019 to 2022, is what's going to happen? You have a winter break over the winter. You know that all these clubs are going to go to either the Middle East or to the United States to play friendlies. Uh, you can imagine Manchester United would probably take that time to play, like say, two or three games uh, over the over that over that period. And if anything, there's probably the players are probably going to be more fatigued because they've got travel. Plus, they're going to be playing these games um, when they could be just making short bus trips from, you mean Manchester to to Liverpool or, or wherever it may be in the UK. Um, I just think it's a mistake. Uh, I understand what they're trying to do uh, in theory. But if the clubs are the ones making the, the, the decisions, I think this is um, a bad move. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, 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 anyway, uh, Univision Deportes, and this is to me very fascinating because 
uh, we've talked about this uh, element of, of, of maybe viewers sticking with old rights holders for, for analysis. Univision Deportes has launched a brand new World Cup show entitled Mission Russia that will air every Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern on the Univision Deportes app, uh, online at univisiondeportes.com and Univision Deportes Radio. The primetime show will take viewers to Russia featuring exclusive interviews with football stars, in-depth analysis, special reports as the 32 uh, teams prepare for this summer's tournament. The show will feature legends like Mr. Stoichkov, Ivan Zamorano, uh, Pavel Pardo, Enrique Borja, and Felix Fernandez. So uh, a challenge to Telemundo right there, uh, the new rights holders in, in Spanish language. Yeah, and just as, as we talked about last week is that uh, ESPN is sending uh, Seb, uh, Sebastian Salazar and, and um, Hercules Gomez to Russia also to cover the, the, the Mexico team in English uh, for ESPN. So there's going to be, I mean, just because Univision and ESPN lost the rights to the World Cup, um, that's that's a good sign that they're, they're still planning on coverage. We'll have to wait and see what BN Sports plans on doing in the United States. Um as well as NBC. I mean, NBC, if they'll have some coverage or try to push people uh, to Telemundo, which is uh, part of the same company. Uh, next up is that Ray Hudson and Phil Shane are going to be calling the Chelsea-Barcelona Champions League game on February the 20th on BN Sports Canada. So uh, BN Sports uh, is, is, uh, you know, has the Champions League rights in Canada, and this is the first time that uh, I believe that uh, Ray Hudson and Phil Shane are going to be used for this one. So they're going to be actually commentating on that game, uh, the Chelsea-Barcelona game. So if you're in Canada, uh, if you love Ray and Phil, uh, here you go. And if you don't like them, <laughs> sorry. But I, I, again, I love them. But uh, they're definitely, uh, it's kind of a love-hate relationship, but still some good news there for uh, soccer fans in Canada uh, through BN Sports. So this week, uh, Alexi Wallace launched the State of the Union podcast. If you, if you didn't check it out, you probably should. Uh, in June, Alexi Wallace's State of the Union podcast heads to Russia for a special World Cup edition set to premiere Tuesday, June 12th. The World Cup episodes will feature comprehensive tournament previews, analysis, and player interviews live from Moscow. So that should be uh, pretty exciting. And again, uh, I, I would recommend our listeners check out this week's episode, obviously after they listen to us, right? But uh, check out uh, uh, Wallace's uh, debut pod. I, I don't think you'll be disappointed. So big news in uh, Italy, and that is that uh, MediaPro, which is a Spanish company, has acquired the, the domestic TV rights for Serie A in Italy for 2018 to 2021. And uh, the amount of money that they're paying is uh, just over 1 billion euros. Uh, it's a big deal because uh, the traditional um, TV partners, broadcast partners in Italy have been Sky Sports Italia and Media, Media Set. But now with Media Pro buying those rights, uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens, where those end up. If, if somebody actually then they sublicense those to one of the TV providers. But still, uh, big news uh, from Italy there. Okay, let me uh, let me move on and uh, talk about Netflix. Now we've talked a lot about the Manchester City documentary that Amazon Prime is streaming, streaming, but Netflix is actually debuting their Juventus documentary, which is going to be really cool on February sixteenth. So that's next week. An insider look at the club entitled First Team Juventus. It'll take a look at the club on and off the pitch as they attempt to win a seventh straight Italian title and achieve Champions League glory season one. Yeah, that one's going to be interesting too, Carter, because he's got the uh, Juventus-Spurs uh, game coming up uh, next week too. So that'll be, I mean, to me, I, I love those 
uh, types of uh, fly on the wall documentaries. It'll be interesting to see how much access they do have. I mean, if we're going into the the dressing rooms, the changing rooms, if we're going, if we're seeing things that, uh, I mean, of course, your favorite Kartik, right? Which is your favorite uh, soccer documentary uh, fly on the wall of all time? Q, uh, QPR uh, for your plan. I still watch it once every six months. Yeah. I just watched it a few months ago again. Yeah, and that's one too that uh, for QPR fans, even QPR, the actual official, uh, the executives, they probably look at that and go like, "Oh, this, this is so embarrassing." But it's realistic; it's it's the real deal. So hopefully, with uh, the Juventus one, uh, we get all of that, whether it's the good parts or the bad parts. But we get to see what it's really like inside that club, rather than some kind of really. Yeah, I mean, sterile, kind of uh, everything is rosy, everything is great, very edited version, but we'll have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, that, that one I'll definitely be watching. Last week, we talked about ESPN Plus and we uh, revealed some of the information that we do have. Uh, this week, um, with an interview on CNBC, uh, ESPN announced a little bit more detail, and that is that ESPN Plus uh, is going to launch this spring. According to one of our sources, it's going to be released in uh, late April. And uh, or early May, it's going to miss the launch of the MLS season. Uh, so MLS Live will continue, but will probably be rolled into ESPN Plus uh, at a later date. But the big news is is that the price point is going to start at four dollars and ninety nine cents a month, which is a fantastic price. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what that actually does include. Does that include everything, or does that just include your basic package? That we'll have to wait and see. So the ESPN Plus is going to offer ESPN and ESPN2 uh, streams from that, provided you have a cable or sat satellite subscription to those services. Uh, but in the other content that they'll have is going to be a live section of sports events not available on ESPN or ESPN2. Uh, so if you're a cord cutter, uh, you could uh, pay the $4.99 and access that. Uh, it will include MLS. It's probably going to include championship next season, as well as some other rights, but we'll have to wait and see. But that, that's what we know so far. My, my uh, sources uh, around USL are telling me USL will have some involvement in that as well. So uh, for fans of that league, uh, be prepared for that. $4.99 a month, that's uh, a price point that was lower than I thought. So yep. uh, although that's a starting package, let's, let's state that. But that uh, sounds better than we thought. Um, now, speaking of pay packages, YouTube TV has finally been added to Ro the Roku and Apple device, uh, TV devices this week. Last week, you may recall, YouTube TV signed an exclusive deal to broadcast LAFC games to YouTube TV, YouTube TV subscribers in the LA market. And Chris, let me tell you, the reaction to this thing has been all over the map. Um, probably something we'll delve into in a future topic of the week once uh, uh, those those games start airing because uh, the speculation and theories about it are, are all over the place. Uh, some people love it and some people just hate it that LAFC has done that. Yeah, if I'm a LAFC fan and I live in Florida and I want to watch those matches through YouTube TV, I can't. Um, I would be able to, through MLS Live, and do it that way, but then I may not be interested in watching all those other games from all those other teams. Um, but but uh, right now, that's the way that the US TV model is set up, especially uh, for the major sports in this country, where it is very regionalized. It's not uh, kind of a national uh, rights package. So it does get, um, it gets complicated. And out of all of the, the soccer leagues in the United States, Major League Soccer is 
probably, uh, I would say probably the most complicated one, which is one of the reasons. I, so the past six, six or seven months, I've been writing a lot of how-to guides about how to find whichever league it is or whichever club it is on US television or streaming and going into a lot of details. One of the reasons I haven't done the Major League Soccer one uh, yet is it is so confusing and it's changing all the time. Um, but anyway, it's just some in, in, insight there. All right, let's move on to TV ratings, Kartik. We don't have all of the numbers, but uh, we're getting them day by day, and we will post them on worldsoccertalk.com on the homepage as soon as they all come in. We, I, I do know that there's some big numbers for Liga Mekis uh, this week, and uh, we'll be posting those shortly. But some of the other numbers that c came in, uh, we had Arsenal against Everton on NBC on Saturday. That had uh, 877,000 viewers on NBC. Uh, we're waiting to get the numbers from uh, Telemundo and Universo uh, on that to see uh, if it did go over the million mark. Uh, the Liverpool Spurs game, um, best game well, for the Premier League all weekend on NBCSN, that one had uh, 692,000 viewers. And uh, look at some of these other numbers here too. You had um, Espanyol against Barcelona, the Barcelona derby. Now on BN Sports, the English language BN Sports, um, it had 68,000 viewers. Uh, we're expecting some much bigger numbers on the B in sports and the Espanol uh, to have those uh, numbers probably over, over 500,000. But we'll have to wait and see once we get those in. We'll post them. Any other numbers here, Kartik, that would jump out at you? Uh, not really. Kind of a whole home a week. And, and I think we're so used to seeing Spanish numbers attached to the English numbers. We're going to just have to wait for those to really analyze this. Exactly. All right, listen to Mailbag. We've got uh, a bunch of uh, feedback this week. Uh, the first one is from Nuke, and he sent in this tweet. He says, uh, great points about uh, NBC Sports Gold on last week's podcast. I paid the $50 since day one, but don't see alerts or push notifications for content. So I, ha I have only gone there once or twice. Uh, can't watch what they can't market. That's a good point. That's an excellent point, actually. Uh, that is something that's it's one of the, especially these days. It's kind of a uh, a basic uh, feature that you would think that they would have ad added. They do, however, have a uh, email newsletter that goes out each week and. Um, usually goes out on the Friday and has a schedule of the games that are going to be on NBC Sports Gold. And it does include in there just kind of a, a schedule of some of the other programming that they have, whether it's the, you mean the Premier League News or Premier League Today or the, the preview show, review show, etc. cetera. Uh, that's been helpful. But, but oftentimes for me too, Kartik, it's one of those things that, uh, I, th I think you're, you're better at this, but I always forget to log on to NBC Sports Gold during the week. And then on the weekend, it's, it's a godsend. I, I'm watching it uh, all the time, but during the week, I'm, I'm, you mean things are busy and I forget. And push notifications or alerts would be would be perfect. Now, Faye Sheridan sent in this tweet. He said, uh, or Faye said, I am a PlayStation View and NBC Sports Gold subscriber. N NBC Sports Gold has screwed me twice this year on streaming matches. First, I wanted to watch Manchester City uh, replay of a match broadcast over the air on NBC. Uh, they would not let me do it because uh, PlayStation View does not have an agreement with NBC uh, for over-the-air rights in my region. So let me just stop right there. It's not just um, PlayStation View, but it's across all streaming pro providers. This is something new that uh, NBC Sports did this season, is that um, in previous years, if you had a subscription to uh, NBC Sports SN, uh, you'd be able to watch... Um, live or, or on replay, 
um, matches that were on NBC over the air, the big NBC network, uh, logging into the NBC Sports app and then watching it using your PlayStation credentials or Sling TV or Fubo or whatever and be able to watch those matches too. This year they stopped that. So that was a, a big change, unfortunately. Um, but as we saw, and we talked about last week, Fubo is one that's been adding, I think they're now in over 70% of US households for, um, for NBC Sports, uh, the network. So that's uh, NBC network. So that's something to consider. Uh, Faye goes on to say that uh, then on Wednesday, January 31st, the City match against uh, West Brom was in, on NBC Sports Gold, which I have a subscription to. So I go to watch the game on replay today, which is a couple of days later, uh, because I can't watch during the week due to work. Guess what? The, the idiots at NBC Sports Gold do not have it available for replay, even for subscribers like me. Uh, guess uh, they are too busy saving on the cost of those um, those those bills and have to remove it before the weekend. And, and let me stop right there too. What happened really, and this is this is difficult, this is really unfortunate. In, in a phase case, it, it's, it's a shame because we had so many matches that week. I think there was the, that was the one we had matches on the, the Tuesday and the Wednesday. Um, I don't think there was a game on the Thursday, but, uh, but Tuesdays and Wednesdays, there's midweek matches. And then the, the next round of matches start then on early on the Saturday morning. So, the, on NBC Sports Gold, you would have those games available on replay uh, for the, the Thursday and probably part of the Friday, but then they would be removed because then they're getting ready for the new weekend. And this is really, I think, more of a restriction on the Premier League. The Premier League's kind of saying to NBC Sports that you can't have these games up there for a very long period of time. It's a set amount of time. And unfortunately, when games come so close together, uh, it, it's, it really doesn't give you a lot of time to watch them before the next round of games start back up. Anyway, so the person goes on and faces, uh, I hate NBC Sports Gold with a passion more than I ever hated any other vendor ever. NBC Sports Gold are pure evil. It's not about the dollars. It's about um, being able to watch the match when you're ready to stream it. Uh, please, Will Soccer Talk, tell everyone else on the website and podcast, never subscribe to NBC Sports Gold. So I think we're both NBC Sports Gold subscribers. Uh, I had to do it this week, this year because of Swansea. If I didn't subscribe to NBC Sports Gold, I probably would miss about 60% of the games. Um, so I, I, I'm not a big fan of NBC Sports Gold by any means. And uh, I think it was a mistake that they went ahead and did it this way uh, by not providing access to everything. But their hands are tied to, to a certain extent where they can't show everything and keep everything. I will say one, one more time about Fubo. The good thing about Fubo is on the DVR is you can keep those recordings forever. So if you watch, you record like, like, like I did, the Liverpool Spurs game from this past Sunday, which is on NBCSN. Um, I had that on DVR. If I go back into my DVR today, it's still there. And actually, if I go back into my DVR six months from now, it's still there too. That's a huge advantage. And um, as they add more of the NBC network um, channels, which they've added in my market, uh, I can do the same thing too. And I can go in there and, and just uh, DVR it and, and leave it there. So that's a big advantage. And uh, it's really, but again, it doesn't help on the NBC Sports Gold side. And hopefully that's something they'll readdress this summer and decide whether or not to expand that program or, or, or just do away with it. My guess is that they'll, they'll continue it, but uh, we'll change it slightly. We'll have to wait and see what happens there, though. 
All right, uh, Kartik, next up is Anthony Bello. He sent in this email. Uh, Anthony says, uh, hi, guys. I am writing to defend VAR and the complaints you guys have. Let's start with Kartik, uh, what he said last week. In my 25 years of watching soccer uh, sports, I have never heard a person say, I think we should ditch replay because it's going to make the game run over the time that the network allotted. Sports are live events. They're usually going to run over the time the network allots for. And uh, if the networks had that concern, the NFL would be nowhere near television because there is always a possibility of a bad injury that could make it run over. So before I go on, Kartik, any, any comments on that one? Yeah, I think that that might be right in terms of fans, but I think there's also the consideration of DVRing and programming. I'll use this example from last night. Auburn plays Texas A&M, very big game in the SEC, uh, college basketball. There is a foul with uh, 3.5 seconds left, or it was actually two points, two seconds left on the clock. Sports Center is coming up next. The Sports Center anchors, Kenny Main and Steve Levy, are kind of joking. Maybe we'll get, we're going to be here. You'll get to us. There's, I would say, like a two or three minute replay delay to, to look at the monitor, see if the call was correct, because the guy, you have to know the rules of basketball, college basketball, but the guy, the guy who took a, appeared to have taken a charge on Auburn was actually had his, the, 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 the part of his foot in um, the line for the cylinder, which meant it was a blocking foul. So that meant Texas A&M got free throws. And then they had to look at the clock. So this delay took like three or four minutes. And, um, you know, it, I think if they've become so accustomed to it, they joke about it. But I've heard some some complaints in the industry about, well, how do we properly program when we don't know about replays and uh, and that sort of thing. So uh, I, I get it that maybe fans aren't concerned about it, but from a programming perspective and in the industry, there are some concerns about it. And uh, also, if you set your DVR. Their concerns about it. If you're uh, particularly like me, because I don't I don't watch the NFL, so it doesn't bother me. I didn't even watch the Super Bowl, if I'm honest with you. Uh, but I do watch a lot of college basketball, and it's happening all the time. And then you'll tape the next, you'll tape a game, and you'll get 20 minutes of the previous game, and then uh, you miss the first eight minutes until the second TV timeout of the game you're DVRing. It's just it's 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 a problem, I think. And some other people have reflected have have said that to me. Anthony goes on to say, uh, as for the rest of the complaints, I just don't get it. Do you guys want the calls to be wrong? If we have the technology to correct a call that is obvious, uh, that, that's an obvious howler, why shouldn't we use it? He says, uh, maybe it's an American sports fan in me, but I want the correct call, not a shorter game. And I definitely don't want to uh, live in the romance of bad calls. The fans of soccer may disagree, that's fine, but I am willing to bet on this. As long as the officials are bad and there's no recourse to overturn the call, the American sports fan won't look at soccer seriously. If you guys keep dragging your feet and the calls stay bad, we are going to ask this question. Why should we waste the only morning we have uh, to sleep in to watch our games, uh, which, watch our teams get screwed? Um, I would say, Kartik, I, I don't have a, an issue with VAR. The issue I have with well, <laughs> many issues with VAR, the only major issue I have with VAR is the amount of time it's taken. So, and this has happened a bunch of times this, uh, what, the last two months, is that a, something happens, something controversial happens, we see the replay, and within like five seconds, we go, yeah, that was, yeah, that was a correct decision or that was, that was, I mean, it was a foul or, or, or whatever it may be. That was a handball or whatever. Now, the amount of time it takes uh, for the referee to radio in to the, 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 the TV crew and 
the, the video assistant referee. And by the time the, the actual, uh, especially for the FA so far for the Premier League, um, for the League Cup and the FA Cup, it can take like sometimes like 45 seconds or more for the decision to come, to come back. And I'm, I'm sitting there going like, what's the holdup? Is it the technology? Is it the, the, the technology that they're using? Or are they being extra careful and looking at every single uh, replay when it's, when it's something that seems to be common sense? That, that, that's the issue I have. The issue is, is the holdup of the game. And it seems to be uh, taking too long to make these decisions. Yes, I want the correct decision, but I want it to be in, in a speedy way where it's not being rushed, but it's being looked at and, and made in a shorter amount of time than it is uh, being done so today. That's absolutely right. And I think that the, the major thing to understand about soccer versus other sports is that this is a sport without natural timeouts. It's a free-flowing game. I think the constant uh, replays and stoppages would be a problem and they need to, things need to be decided quickly to keep that, uh, continue the flow of that game. Now, actually, you know, referencing again, college basketball, uh, it's been incorporated in the game now that replays end up um, stifling momentum for, for, for teams and giving coaches maybe whose, whose teams are on the back foot. That's soccer experience and just we'll go with it uh, uh an additional timeout a chance to to regroup uh so uh, it, it may change it, it may end up working out in some respects but it does change the dynamic of the game there's no two ways about that from watching college basketball as closely as i have for 35 years i've seen as the the tv monitors were incorporated in that sport how the trajectory of games have changed and how momentum swings uh, uh, can be uh, stifled more easily because of replays, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, maybe we're just uh, uncomfortable with change. And it's something that college basketball fans and coaches in college basketball and players have had to adjust to. Uh, maybe that happens in soccer as well. Yeah, I, I'm okay with change. I, I'm all for change. But to me, one of the beauties of soccer is that end-to-end -end action, that flow of the game going, you mean, down one end of the pitch, and then all of a sudden the counter-attack, and now it goes to the other side. And it, and it's, for the most part, you mean, it's almost non-stop unless there's a, you know, a foul or a free kick or uh, you know, a throw-in, those sorts of things. But uh, in some matches, it's going to be where there are going to be some incidents happening, whether it's a push or whether it's a, a trip or whatever it may be. Uh, the level of use of VAR has to be looked at where it can't be used all the time. You know, it has to be only used for key decisions that are going to be controversial, that uh, you need that TV replay to, to make sure that the decision was done correctly. I think one way we can solve this, and uh, this is traditional to get angry about this, is you act fifth and sixth officials that have, uh, that have some sort of decision-making power or some sort of decision-influencing power on the field, right behind the goals, because really the game is now too fast and the expanse of a soccer pitch is too much to depend on. Uh, three officials with decision-making authority or decision-influencing authority. It's really, uh, that, that's what the trouble comes down to. So think about this, basketball. Think about how small that court is. You have three officials. Uh, soccer, you essentially have three officials. Uh, same. Uh, think about American football. You have uh, officials all over the field, right? You have a head referee, but um, it, it really is uh, a problem when it comes down, back down to that. And this is where the traditionalism, and I completely agree with Anthony, the traditionalism of soccer and uh, the conservatism of FIFA is, uh, is coming into play. 
Yeah, and FIFA uh, still yet to make a decision about the World Cup this summer. And I, I think they really have to be really careful about this one, Kartik, because um, it could come back to bite them if they're if they're deciding to move forward with VAR. Uh, it depends which VAR system that they use. Maybe they, they may use their own. That's going to be probably different also. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's okay to use VAR as long as it's 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 timely and, and also it's making the correct decisions. It, you mean, it, it could cause some huge controversies, more, more controversies than without it. Unless there's the intent of some people within FIFA to sabotage the whole process of technology. Now, that sounds very conspiracy theory-like, theory but I'm airing it because people have said it. Enough people have said it, enough people I respect have said it, knowing FIFA the way some of these folks do, that uh, that perhaps might be part of the agenda. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. All right, one more thing, and that's from Dave Brunk, and he sent in this email. He says, hey, fellas, I continue to enjoy the pods, especially all the interviews you've done lately. Excellent content. Looking forward to ha uh, hearing more on ESPN's streaming service coming out soon, and also your coverage of the USSF election. My son and I did a soccer trip to London over the holiday period and got to see three matches. All right, Kartik, get ready for this one. So we, uh, he says, uh, we started with Brentford against Sheffield Wednesday. Which that's one ground I've I've seen. Uh, I think oh, it was a Heathrow. Every time, uh, yeah, it's a it's the closest ground to Heathrow Airport. I was about to say, yeah, that. and it's also and it's also uh, I think the only ground in England that has a pub on each corner of the ground. Uh, so th so it's, it's a unique place. Uh, I would have loved to gone to see Brentford against Sheffield Wednesday. So uh, hats off to Dave there. Then he went on to see AFC at AFC Wimbledon against Southend. Which would have been a great atmosphere with the uh, with the, the the Dons and 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 that that would have been a match I would have loved to have seen too, and Dave says uh, and he concluded it with West Ham against West Brom, at the uh, Olympic Stadium, he says uh, we had had a blast and uh, all of the home teams won their matches, so eh, hats off to him and his son. Uh, that's, that's definitely I'm sure a trip that uh, he'll never forget. If, listeners, if you do have any feedback for us or any questions that you have, uh, feel free to contact us. We'd love to read those out on air. You can reach us on, uh, via email at uh, web, W-E-B, at worldsoccertalk.com. You can tweet us at worldsoccertalk or send us a message through Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. Moving on, Kartik, to our featured topic of the week, and this is that... Uh, this weekend, both you and I will be heading to Orlando for the United States Soccer Federation annual general meeting. And there's going to be lots of meetings there, but the most important one of all is going to be the National Council meeting on Saturday, where they will be voting uh, all the different parties from throughout the United States, all the different uh, councils and, and uh, uh, associations and uh, voting blocks will be voting in the USSF presidential election. Of course, there are eight candidates running. Um, this year's AGM is going to be the largest in history. So history will be made. They're going to have 632 registered attendees. It's going to be a massive event. And uh, it's going to be, <laughs> this is going to probably change US soccer uh, moving forward, Kartik, I think, in many ways. Uh, whether the, the reform candidates uh, win or the establishment wins, I think uh, things are going to be different from here on. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that this election has been much more, um, much more active and much more controversial than I think a lot of people thought at the outset. There has been some convergence in 
themes from all the candidates, with the exception of Kathy Carter, particularly about the role of Soccer United Marketing, which, of course, she is the um, on-leave or on-leave-of-absence president of, right, of Soccer United Marketing, which is, for those who don't know, a marketing company whose equity is held by MLS owners who has all of the media contracts for the United States, for, for the domestic contracts for U.S. soccer, uh, television, marketing, etc., and they have done so in a process. They have obtained those contracts in a process that many find controversial. So, uh, and 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 the allocation of monies. And you can go back and read some of the things that um, we have uh, talked about on World Soccer Talk. Both Chris, Chris, you, and and I have written about it through the years. The allocation of monies coming from the sum contract. Where that, where those um, revenues go? Do they go ba back to the to the national teams that generated the revenues, or do they go into the pockets of major? league soccer. And that has been perhaps the biggest issue of the campaign. Now, when the campaign started, we thought there would be a lot of the, 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 the polarizing issues were four issues, which were uh, pro-rel, calendar change, solidarity payments, and the technical direction of the U.S. men's and women's national teams. The, those four issues are still prominent, but they have taken a backseat to this discussion of some and the money that Soccer United Marketing um, is generating or perhaps keeping. Strangely, Major League Soccer pushed Kathy Carter into the race for the presidency. I think it's because maybe the establishment, the established establishment candidate, Carlos Cordero, who's been a board member for 10 years of U.S. soccer, independent director for eight of those years, the last, last two years as the vice president of uh, U.S. soccer behind Sunil Gulati, that Cordero is... Um, an establishment figure when it comes to pro-rel, when it comes to calendar change, when it comes to solidarity payments, but not when it comes to the soccer United marketing deal. He has now raised some very vocal and, uh, in my opinion, valid concerns about it. Mm -hmm. So, and we talked about this in pre on previous pods, and, and this week uh, Cordero re reiterated that in his conversation with um, with Grant Wall on the Planet Football podcast. Don Garber has responded. So. Um, the race has been kind of defined by Soccer United marketing and Kathy Carter's presence in the race. I, I, I was on Sirius XM the other night with, with Brian Dunseth and, and John Harks and talked at length about some of the other cross-cutting cleavages in this race. Just I, I don't want to summarize the full half an hour I was done with them. Uh, I don't want to go through the whole half an hour I was with them. I'll just summarize real quickly. You have two very prominent insurgent candidates, uh, Eric Winalda and Kyle Martino, both of whom are uh, – I think very familiar to our listeners because of their media work. Uh, we've interviewed Kyle Martino on this podcast. We did not get the opportunity to interview Eric Ronaldo, uh, but they're um, talking a lot about the pro rel, the solidarity payments, the um, even the, the the NASL, which now has filed a major antitrust lawsuit against the U against U.S. Soccer. Second lawsuit they filed this week against in independent uh, directors or the directors and independent directors of U.S. Soccer. Then you've got. Carter and Cordero, who I've mentioned as establishment candidates, one possibility I raised on Sirius is that these middle of the road, you know, probably leaning more to the insurgent side candidate, Steve Gans, uh, who's a prominent Boston attorney, very impressive Boston attorney, uh, was actually responsible for first getting John W. Henry involved in the Premier League and has worked with the Premier League and is very, very connected in youth soccer circles. Or Mike Vinograd, former player. Well, Steve Gans is a former player also. Mike Vinograd, former player, who's now a corporate lawyer in uh, New York, uh, founded the Staten Island Vipers, uh, a Division II team, uh, 
which is now defunct, but um, was in Division Two at one point, and also um, has uh, represented a number of youth clubs uh, as an attorney, that one of these two might emerge in the later stages of um, of the uh, um, of the voting process. So it's a fascinating situation. I think we now, though, Chris come to a realization, everybody puts so much on this election, and I have to say it's consumed most of my energy for four months. We've now come to a realization this week, talking to a number of folks around the game, okay, the election is one thing, but there's a lot that has to be done that won't be determined by this. And that maybe we've all kind of lost our focus the last few months because we thought, okay, if we get the right president, we can change things. Or if we get the wrong president, things are over. No, I, I, uh, I, a realization is beginning to creep in on both sides, the, uh, the, the reform side and the um, establishment side that, okay, this is, this is important, but it's part of a larger process. Yeah, absolutely. But I do st- still think that the, the, the race is uh, going to be crucial, though, Kodak, because if, if you do have the establishment that uh, the wins, so it's either Carter or Cordero, um, yes, there's going to be big issues that need to be resolved and, and worked on, um, but uh, it's still going to continue in the same path that it's on right now. Uh, you mean things will change, you mean improvements will be made, but it's for the most part going to be status quo. It's going to be par for the course. Now, the reform candidates... Uh, whether it's Martino or Winaldo or others, uh, those are going to be uh, more likely to to make changes, some big changes in the structure of U.S. soccer. Uh, these are changes that are going to probably going to upset a lot of people. Whether it's even calendar changes or if it's uh, changes to the way that the the TV contracts are done, where um, some doesn't have so much power in in, in negotiating these contracts and, and and actually gives more of this funding uh, from these con- contracts to U.S. soccer, so they can filter that down into you know from grassroots all the way up, rather than a lot of it going to um, the majority of going it going to Major League Soccer. So I, th- I think it is it is extremely important, uh, depending on which way it goes, because it is going to have long lasting uh, uh, an impact on the growth of soccer in the United States, uh, whether it's slow growth growth or, or rampant growth. Um, having said that, though, to contact, yeah, there, there are bigger issues than just the election itself. Uh, there's some huge, massive problems. You look through all levels of U.S. soccer, and you see that uh, there's there's areas for improvement. Um, we're behind on on a lot of things. Everything from scouting to, I mean, pay to play, solidarity payments. There's some huge issues that need need to be resolved. Um, but I think it's it, it, it comes down to this election, Kartik. I think this really will determine which which path we go down. Um, and at this point, I think the election it's it's too close to call. I think it's going to go right down to the wire, and yeah. uh, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, at the start of this campaign, pay to play was the major issue, Chris. I think that that was um, the thing that was so um, obvious to, uh, to 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 people because of Sunil Gulati's need to defend pay-to-play, and that was percolating up as the root cause of all the U.S.'s problems. Now, as the races evolve, Soccer United marketing has become the lightning rod issue, and that's a much more immediate uh, concern, right, about monies now and media contracts now versus pay-to-play, which is a longer-term thing. Nonetheless, when Brian Dunseth, the co-host of the SiriusXM show, Counterattack, that I was on the other night, read off to me the list of issues, uh, starting with pay-to-play, that have been encompassed in this race. It's about 30 issues, uh, which shows you the kind of 
demonstrates to you the kind of um, problems the U.S. soccer system has, the controversies within it, the factions within it, and um, the reality that um, there is a sense that we have to do better. Um, and, and, I, and I think when you when you evaluate this, the question becomes, do you continue on with um, the status quo and assume that they hear because the problem is they're pretty tone deaf, right? Um, the status quo, we've seen that time and again, and Kyle Marquino has talked about that, about how distant they are viewing everything from 30,000 feet or how they're protected from uh, the actual public sentiment. Uh, or, or do you do you make a, a radical break and, and bring in Eric Winalda, who has the most radical ideas and, and um, has cultivated support of people who are either um, seen as kind of gadflies in the U.S. soccer community or are simply fans of European football and don't watch domestic soccer? Um, that, and that's that's very much when all the space, including and then the adult leagues who feel like they're being uh, screwed by Soccer House, the uh, NASL and Lisa contingent, Peter Wilt and, and, and Rocco Camiso, uh, Ricardo Silva, et cetera, um, who obviously have are major stakeholders in the game of this country, but view the business very differently than Major League Soccer does. Um, one thing I would point out also about this race, and I mentioned this on um, on Counterattack with Dunseth and Harks, was that one of the biggest issues in terms of how voters are going to vote now, all the noise is about some uh, on the macro level, has become the governance issues of how uh, Sunil Gulati has arbitrarily governed in the opinions of many people in, in and around the game. And um, the uh, standards for state soccer associations being written by what are essentially bureaucrats and not uh, soccer people. So there are these really kind of grassroots issues, which is, hey, I, I um, let's say you're in the state of Washington and Washington State Soccer Association uh, isn't happy with uh, the directives that have come from U.S. soccer, which are being written by um, by people who are bureaucrats or people who come from other sports and the soccer coaches and soccer professionals whose entire life is dedicated to the sport are saying none of these things make sense. Uh, there are similar issues around the referees, but um, just in summary, there are a lot of kind of grassroots micro issues that people may not be aware of that may actually determine the outcome of this race. Now, if it comes down to that, neither Cordero or Carter will win. It'll be, uh, or although maybe Cordero was satisfied people that, hey, he would govern differently than Sunil. He certainly had some criticism of that. But it might end up being, that might be the lane for a Gans or a Winograd to drive through because they understand youth soccer. They're both former players. In the case of uh, uh, Winograd played abroad, in the case of Gans, he's worked closely with Premier League clubs. Um, they may have an inside track that way when we get to a third or fourth ballot. So, uh, we'll see. It's going to be fascinating. Fascinating process it's been. Uh, it is very important, but it's not the be-all and end-all. That's how I would close. Yeah, I wrote a piece this week uh, on worldsoccertalk.com where I talked about uh, how the um, Sunil Gulati really, and U.S. soccer have been riding the coattails of the U.S. women's national team and the U.S. men's national team for all of the success that they've had in the past two decades, whether it's Olympic golds, whether it's uh, women's World Cup medals, uh, you mean gold winning that, uh, for the, the men's national team uh, reaching quarterfinals and um, you mean, kind of defying the odds and actually doing much punching above their weight in a lot of these uh, major tournaments. 
And I think in many ways that uh, then Sunil Galati have kind of uh, ridden those coattails and has gotten a free ride because there's so many other issues in this game that have not been addressed. And for me, I mean, it does go back to that some issue. I mean, back in 2006, when some stepped in to acquire the World Cup rights um, and put together a deal that then would um, broadcast those on ESPN and that uh, then MLS would be featured prominently uh, promoting, promoting that. At that time, I mean, that was like, what, 12 years ago. That was an important uh, part of the growth of the game in this, uh, in this country. 12 years later, I don't think we need some. I, th I think in many ways, U.S. soccer should be uh, doing these deals uh, directly uh, or indirectly, but doing these deals themselves rather than having some, which is owned by Major League Soccer, doing the deals for them. So I think, I think U.S. soccer as a national organization is missing out on a huge amount of um, revenue and opportunities that they're go instead going to Major League Soccer and some. And while a lot of people think that I think U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer are on the same page and have the same goals, I disagree. I mean, U.S. soccer has such a much larger role to play in this country from the grassroots, from the basic levels through to the referees, to organizations, to uh, the women's game, to, I mean, you name it, such a huge, such a huge country. Right. Let me just uh, jump in there, Chris. Sorry to cut you off, but I want to point this out. U.S. soccer does not just govern the professional game in this country. And that's the problem. That is the fundamental problem with everything. We could go on for an hour and talk about this. It has become uh, an entity that, even though they, they, they do all these bureaucratic things with the referees and with the amateur game and with the women, that has become simply an extension of the men, of the top men's professional league in the country. Right. That is the fundamental issue in this campaign. Yeah. That is it. And, and Major League Soccer shouldn't be calling the shots. I mean, that, that's Correct. the thing. And even if you go back to the U.S. men's national team World Cup qualifying campaign and uh, even bring in Bruce Arena, who's had a, a good career as a, a club coach and has a, had had a decent career as a national team coach many, many years ago, bringing him in and against Trinidad, playing mostly uh, almost an all MLS team. Uh, of players who are aging, that were not the best players available. Uh, and to me, you should not have, have MLS have such a huge influence, a huge uh, influence on the, on the entire state of the U.S. men's national team and, and U.S. soccer. So a, a lot of this does come back to the some uh, TV deals. And to me, for the 2022, is that that needs to end, that, that the next TV deal should be separate. U.S. soccer and the men's team and the, and the women's team should have a separate deal than Major League Soccer. Major League Soccer, at this point in time, doesn't need to have uh, you know, someone, a big brother kind of helping them out uh, on these deals. They're, they're strong enough to have their own TV deals by themselves. And, and, and putting them together does not make sense. Now... Kartik, this is probably, or this is definitely the most competitive race in recent history for the USSF uh, presidential election. Uh, in Sunil Galati's last three times that he's run for office uh, as USSF president, each time he ran unopposed. Uh, this time, there's eight candidates. Uh, it, it is very, very close to call. I, I think in many ways, my kind of uh, analysis is that Winalda started off extremely strong, very strong in the beginning of this campaign. But in the last few weeks, it's fizzled and uh, towards the end of this campaign. Meanwhile, uh, Carl Martino started off uh, pretty, pretty weak and, and uh, not that strong at all, but has finished extremely strong in this campaign. And in many ways has uh, been acting very presidential uh, in the last few weeks, whether it's on conference calls or just uh, interviews. Um, and also social media, extremely active on social media. 
Uh, and then you've got Kathy Carter, who's practically invisible, has been only doing uh, select interviews, uh, but has not been saying much at all during those interviews. And Codero, who's been sharing more information, but again, not doing a lot of interviews. And then you have all the other candidates. And it's just, unfortunately, the timing of this is, is unfortunate for the other candidates because there's just so many people running in this race. Uh, it's it's hard to, to be able to sink your teeth in and, and uh, analyze all of them. Uh, you, you probably have a better idea in terms of uh, each of the other candidates and what the strengths that they bring to the table. Now, Kartik, I will, I will close on this. On WorldSoccerTalk.com this week, we endorsed uh, Eric Rinalda and Carl Martino. And the reason uh, I endorsed both of these guys is that both of them have strong campaigns overall, but it's more so the policies and, and what they stand for and then the ideas and changes that they are go going to make. I think, Kartik, personally speaking, this is, this is just me, but I think that um, if there's a way for a coalition for these guys to work together, uh, perhaps also bringing in Hope Solo, um, Winograd, Steve Gans, um, and Caligiri, that that would be the way to go. I, I just don't know whether or not uh, these guys and the, the, these people on on these uh, the the other the other six candidates essentially whether they're going to be able to actually form a coalition and then uh, some type of way to actually be able to defeat the establishment. What are your thoughts on that? That's ideally what I would like as well. Um, so I want to see those six candidates work together and 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 uh, try and bring some some degree of change and, and work out the roles. Uh, uh, on the fly, maybe, but um, it, 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 it's going to be difficult. There are a lot of personalities there. There are a lot of people there who feel like they should be uh, the president of U.S. soccer. So we'll see. Uh, it's going to be an exciting 48 hours from from the time we're recording to uh, when this thing is determined, 48, 52 hours or so from the time That's we're, right. we're recording. All right. So Orlando uh, will be there soon. Uh, Fox Sports is going to be covering the event on Saturday morning on FS2, I think in between the Bundesliga games. Uh, it will be live streamed on uh, ussoccer.com as well as YouTube. So uh, if you're a soccer fan in the United States, I, I definitely urge you to, to follow this one because this is going to have a big impact. And it, it, even if you don't follow Major League Soccer um, or some of the other leagues in the United States, it's still going to have a big impact. So whether it's your, your kids or your, your future kids, or just uh, local organizations. Um, a lot of this depends on, on how, this how this goes with this election. So I encourage you to definitely tune in and, and, uh, and watch and see what happens and see, see if democracy, uh, how it works in U.S. soccer. Now, Kartik, uh, where can listeners find you on the internet if you want to catch up on your latest uh, interviews or uh, discussions or, or thoughts? You can find me at KKFLA737 on Twitter and uh, various places on the net, uh, writing, including worldsoccertalk.com. All right. Well, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and worldsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. We'd greatly appreciate it. In Kartik, if they're not watching uh, the, uh, the election this weekend, um, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.